Uh, but it's great to be here with you all as, uh, as we come to God's Word. So let's turn to God's Word now. Let's look at Psalm 121 together. Hear the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, these are words of life to us. These are words of a father to his children, that you are the God who is near us. You are the God who sees us. You are the God who keeps us. So this morning, Holy Spirit, take these words and apply them to our hearts. Apply them to our minds. Apply them to our hands. And let us leave this place looking more like Jesus than when we came in. We pray these things in our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Vince uh, did ask me to give you guys a little bit of an update, and and really it just kind of uh, flows really nicely into this passage. Um, Oakwood uh, is situated, for those of you that don't know, up in State College. So we are one of the furthest churches in our uh, presbytery. Uh, We are all the way up in State College, and uh, the church there uh, has been thinking about for a number of years what it looks like to plant another church. Uh, Oakwood is, is a growing church. When we came out of COVID, we uh, grew to, uh, we've grown to about 350, 400 people. And, uh, and so we've just been thinking about what does it look like for us to plant a church? I have to say, though, we didn't really have a plan. Um, we have an idea. We had an intent, but we didn't really have an executable plan. So at the end of last year, uh, 2021, um, we were our senior a pastor was looking in the newspaper, and he saw that a church in Belfont, an area that we had identified as a potential place to plant a church, uh, Belfont is a little community um, that is nestled in between all these mountains, and it's a, it's a beautiful little town, Victorian town. If, uh, it kind of became famous during the Sandusky trial. Uh, a lot of news um, reporters were there, and it's the center, it's the uh, county seat for Center County, and so a lot of the the footage that you saw of that trial was there in Belfont. Um, and we had kind of identified that as a potentially a place to plant a church. Well, at the end of last year, First Presbyterian Church of Belfont, a PCUSA PC church, announced that they were closing. Uh, COVID had kind of ravaged them, and, and they had about 12 people left in their congregation. So they said, we're going to close our doors. So our senior pastor, Dan Keel, called them and said, well, what are you going to do with your building? And they said, well, we would love to uh, give it to a, another church and keep it a church. So we, um, we prayed about it. We went and looked at it. Uh, it is a massive building, 15,000 square feet. The sanctuary is this beautiful sanctuary. The church was planted 221 years ago. There was only 16 states when that church was planted. The current building is about 150 years old. 
has a big pipe organ, stained glass windows, and it seats about 400 people. It's a beautiful building, but it's overwhelming. <laughs> what are we going to do with a building that size? It also needs an, a, a large amount of work uh, to the building. It's very outdated. So as we prayed about it, thought about it, the first thing I said was, you guys can buy that building, but I am not planting that church. That is not for me. I love where I'm at. My wife and I love Oakwood. We love the people of Oakwood. We've loved doing ministry there. We love Dan and Ben, the other two pastors I work with. Uh, We are very comfortable. We are very happy where we are. Well, right, that's the joke, right? Tell, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Um, So as we were praying about it, thinking about it, the church came back to us and said, here's our offer. This is how much we want for the building, $30,000 which is basically the carrying cost that they had for the last six months. Well, it was kind of a, a steal at $30,000. And so um, our session and our congregation voted to purchase that building. And then over the last couple of months, the Lord has really put a burden on Amber, that's my wife's name and my heart, to plant a church in Belfont. Belfont, like I said, is it's a very... Um, It's a cute little community. Belfont is very special to this state. It's produced seven governors. Two of them were members of that church. But Belfont's very different from State College. Belfont is more blue-collar, while State College is more white-collar. Belfont is also economically depressed and is very different when it comes to demographics than uh, State College. So, as we prayed about it over the last couple of months, we watched the Lord raise up nine other families— 17 adults and 16 children to go and plant this church in Belfont. But as I've been thinking more and more about it, there is a lot of anxiety for me about this plant, a lot of insecurity for me about this plant. And this is where this psalm has been such a help to me. And I hope that as we go through it, it will be a help to you. As you face your own hills, if you will, in your life, that you will see that God is the creator, he is the maker, and he is the keeper of his children. This psalm is a wonderful psalm. It's one of 15 psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. The Jewish people would recite these psalms to one another as they traversed and traveled up to Jerusalem three times a year. On their way up to Jerusalem, they would be speaking to one another, encouraging one another, speaking truth to one another. And this psalm especially is so important because Jerusalem was nestled in some mountains, in a mountain range, and and as they got closer to Jerusalem, they would see those hills before them. And that's why the psalm starts with, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? I used to think that this meant that... uh, the psalmist and, and, and the Israelites were looking at these hills and they were, they were seeing, that's where my help comes from. It comes from Jerusalem. It comes from God who lives in the holy place on high, the temple up in the mountains. But as I've thought more and more about this psalm, I don't think that's what the psalmist actually means. I think the psalmist is saying, look at those mountains. How are we going to get to the top? Where does our help come from? I think these mountains are literally obstacles. They're danger. They're a place of hardship and difficulty. They seem insurmountable as these people would traverse to go to Jerusalem every year. In the mountains, there were robbers. 
In the mountains, there's no water. In the mountains, there's hard terrain. I also think that these hills symbolize something else. They symbolize fatigue, doubt, discouragement, disillusionment. The ascent to Jerusalem was hard. It was hard physically. It was hard mentally. It was hard spiritually. Again, like I said, they did it three times a year. You know how difficult it is to come here on Sunday morning, right? To rally your kids, try not to get into a fight with your spouse, fight the temptation to hit the snooze button one more time. Here, the Jews every year, three times a year travel to Jerusalem, and every time they came to these mountains, these hills, and they would say, where does our help come from? Once again, the psalmist sees face-to-face the hardships of life. I am sure on this travel up to Jerusalem, there were kids saying, why are we doing this? This is so boring. Why do we have to go to Jerusalem again? As they see those mountains ahead of them, I'm sure there's doubt of religion. Does this even matter? And so what does the psalmist do? What does he teach us? When we come to those hills, those obstacles, those hardships, those doubts, those discouragements in our life, what does he do? He speaks to himself. This is where I found this psalm so encouraging. Because as I think about this church plant, it's overwhelming. The building is very old, like I said. It needs millions of dollars of work. Do people even care in Belfont about the gospel? Is this church plant just going to be another failure that I'm going to have in my life? How do we gather people? Are people going to grow weary and not want to do this? Do people even care about Jesus? Do I care that much about Jesus? Verse 2, it helps us. When the doubts, when the hills, when the obstacles of our life loom in front of us, we speak to ourselves. The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He is saying this, As you pilgrim in this world, there will be obstacles in front of you. But you have a God who has called you, called you to follow him, and he will always provide a way because he is bigger than the hills in front of you. What the psalmist does is he takes our eyes to that situation that is in your life that seems insurmountable, and then he lifts your eyes above it. You know, that's what happened at the fall, wasn't it? At the fall, Adam and Eve's eyes went down. The first thing they saw was that they were naked, and then they hid. We have the same tendency, don't we? Our eyes always to be facing downward. The psalm says, no, lift your eyes up. Past your situation to a God who is bigger, the one who made heaven and earth. The situation you find yourself in that seems insurmountable, it's one that has been orchestrated by God. He knows exactly where you are because he's above all things and he's working all things for your good 
and for his glory. Isaiah 45, 7 is a really difficult passage, but it lays it out really clearly who God is. It says this, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. That is a great comfort to us. We have a God who is far above heaven and earth. He looks down on heaven and earth. A core belief for a Christian is that God is a God with a plan. And he has ordained everything in your life, the good and the bad and the ugly. He is above all things. But here's the beautiful part. He's not a God that is above all things disconnected. He is a God who's above all things and then near to you. That's what the psalmist goes on to say. As he speaks to himself, as he sees those mountains, as he sees those hills, as he sees the situation that seems insurmountable, where does our help come from? It comes from God who is maker of heaven and earth. And then he says, the God who holds your feet. Look at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He brings God, this God who is so huge, who has created all things into perspective in our life, that our God cares about us. The word he keeps using here is keeper. And that's what we're just going to focus on that word for the rest of our time. Keeper. That God is a keeper. He keeps you. He holds you. He has a watchful care over you. He knows you. He sees you, even your foot. He holds your foot. To walk to Jerusalem could be treacherous. One bad step could end your journey. There are many passages that talk about how we need to have sure footing Our feet need to be secure and how God takes care of our feet because God takes care of every single little detail in your life. He cares about it all. This shows the care that God has for us, not just in the big things, but in the little things. And it only takes someone having a broken ankle or a sprained ankle, to realize that there's a lot that goes into every single step. I remember spraining my ankle when I was 32. I kid you not, my my ankle still blows up. Whenever it's going to rain, I know, because it still blows up. God cares about every little detail. We don't realize that most times, that God takes care of every single step. God watches care over you minute by minute. In high school, I ran track. I don't know if you've been to a track meet recently, but they have that big clock out there, and it has hours, and it has minutes, and it has seconds, and it has like nanoseconds, like the seconds that are like flying by, right? God cares about those seconds in your life, nanoseconds. He will not let your foot be moved. He's a keeper in your sleep. You know, when you sleep, that is when you are most vulnerable, isn't it? When you sleep, you are exposed 
But the psalmist reminds himself and he reminds us that God never sleeps and he never slumbers. Consider what you're like when you don't get enough sleep. Consider how cranky you get and frustrated and short with your family or with your friends. But God is not like that. He neither sleeps nor does he slumber. His eye is always upon you. He is focused 100% on you. My father is 80 years old this year. My father has been preaching since he was 16 years old. My dad is a, was a PCA pastor, and now he's an OPC pastor. And I went to visit him earlier this year, and he was sitting uh, in the morning doing his devotions, and he was just sitting there kind of staring out the window. And I said, Dad, what are you, what are you doing? Well, my dad's like deaf without his hearing aids, so he didn't move, right? So I had to yell at him, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just thinking about God's presence. God's presence with every one of his children is 100%. This man's been preaching for over 65 years. That's what he is staring off into space thinking about, that God's focus is 100% on you. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. That should bring us great comfort when we are looking at those hills in our lives, those things that are insurmountable, that God is watching you. What does the old hymn say? His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. God's watchful care over you, especially when you are vulnerable. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. There is, on the surface, what he is saying here is that God is your protector. He cares about you and will protect you. You know, shade, uh, when I I got here this morning, I drove around this parking lot because I was looking for a place to park my car in the shade, right? There's not a whole lot of places here in this parking lot. We understand shade, especially when it's hot. We understand the importance of shade, the rest that shade gives from the heat. God is that shade on your right hand. Why right hand? Right hand is a place of honor. In Psalm 110, David says, The Lord spoke to my Lord and said, Sit at my right hand. We said it earlier in our confession That Christ's exaltation is he sits at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? It's a seat of honor, it's a seat of safety, and it's a seat reserved for a child of the king. For a son or a daughter. God's protection upon you is because you are his child. You are not an orphan. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. And he protects you from the son of that seeks to strike you by day and the moon by night, what does that mean? Well, I think it means something deeper than just sun and moon. I think he's talking about our mind, our psychology, if you will. I think what he is referring to here is the sun that seeks to strike you, and what happens when the sun strikes you? You can get sunstroke, and sunstroke disorients you. It messes with your mind, and at night, The moon by night. There's a word that is derived from the moon 
that I found out as I was reading this passage. Lunar is another word for moon, right? The lunar cycles. Lunatic means somebody that is affected by the moon. I think you've probably heard this before, but when there's a full moon, people kind of act kind of crazy, right? Well, I don't believe, I don't know if I necessarily believe in that superstition, but I do believe in this. At night, when I lay on my bed and I start thinking about my day and I start thinking about my life, I can turn into a lunatic. I can start to doubt that God is going to care for me and for my children and for my wife. I can start to worry about what the future is going to hold. Maybe you're the same way. It seems that in the evening, at night, that's when all my worries and my insecurities and my anxieties come to wreak havoc on me. And God says, I will keep you. I will keep your mind. I will remind you that I keep you and protect you because you are my child. The last thing that he keeps us and the psalmist reminds us when we see those hills that are insurmountable, those situations in our life that look hopeless and we say, where is my help? We have a God who keeps our feet, who keeps us when we sleep, who keeps our minds and then keeps us from all evil. What does that mean? Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He says this, God's care over your life doesn't mean that you're going to be comfortable or it's going to be easy, but he has given you all of the armor you need to keep you safe. That armor is outlined in Ephesians 6, if you want to look at that later on today. Ephesians 6 talks about an armor where you have the knowledge of salvation, where you have the belt of truth so you know what is good and what is lovely and what is true. You have the sword of the word that encourages you and guides you. You have shoes of peace. Peace that you know who you are and whose you are and that protects your comings and your goings. God's watch care is for you in every aspect of your being. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. But the piece of armor that is most important that he gives you, that he keeps you with, is Christ himself. For in Christ, your life is hid. His righteousness, that breastplate of righteousness that is Jesus Christ is what protects you from all evil and keeps your life because now you are found in Christ and his righteousness is what matters. That is who keeps your comings and your goings forever. Life disorients us, can't it? My brother is a pilot with the Marines. He flew helicopters. And he suffered once from something called spatial D. Spatial D is when your body is saying one thing and your instruments are saying something else. It's the number one reason, the number one killer of pilots. Because they don't know which direction to go. Many times that is our life. When we come to those hills in our life that seem so insurmountable, situations in our life that seem so Hopeless, they create spatial D. We start getting disoriented. 
And that's when we have to trust our instruments. We trust the word of God, that God does keep you. He does hold you. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he keeps all of your ways. What I love about these psalms, the psalms of ascent, is that three times a year, the Jewish people would gather their families and make this travel up to Jerusalem. And by the time they got to Jerusalem, there were tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of Jewish people saying these psalms to one another, encouraging one another. These psalms are meant to be said in community. Reminding each other of this God who is above all things and yet is here right now in this building with you, keeping your feet, keeping you while you slept last night, keeping your mind, keeping your whole being. Providence, are you a church that does that for one another? Do you encourage one another in that? Do you encourage one another when you see each other struggling or you hear of people struggling? Do you point them back to the creator keeper? Reminding one another that this is a God who has a plan and he sees you and he knows you and he keeps you. Lastly, when we are disoriented by the hills of this life, we must remember and fix our eyes on Christ and how he dealt with the greatest hill in his life. When I read this psalm, I can't help but imagine Jesus doing this journey year after year for his 33 years here on this planet, ascending that hill, saying this psalm, until one time he didn't come down. For he went up there because he was going to the cross. As Christ ascended that hill to Jerusalem on that Passover, he knew what was before him, that he was going to experience. And what he was going to experience was those eyes of the Lord, the eyes of his Father, who have watched him from the beginning of time, before that, when they lived in perfect harmony, before there was a world or time. Those eyes that were forever fixed on him were going to be turned away. Those eyes, those watchful eyes of a father were going to turn away from the son. And those watchful eyes look completely at you. As Christ ascended that hill to Calvary, he did it. He did it all, despising the shame that came with that cross, all for the joy of having us, so that now our life is hid in his. If you are a Christian this morning, that is who you are. If you are not a Christian this morning, where is your hope? Where is your hope when you see the hills of this life looming in front of you? And if you are a Christian now, when you see that cross and that empty tomb and that occupied throne, you can lift your eyes to see Jesus, 
especially in those doubts of life, especially in those hardships that you experience. You can see that Jesus is the keeper of your soul. He is the keeper of your hope. Jesus is the keeper of your life. And if Jesus is for you, who can be against you? So Providence, that is the good news that Oakwood is going to share at Belfont. Pray for us. Pray for us as we pray for you that we will be confident, that we will be humble, and that we will be ready to share the good news that we have a creator keeper who loves us, died for us, saved us, and is coming back for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make this word alive to us. Make this word real to us. We don't want to be just informed by your word. We want to be transformed. So as a loving father, we ask for you to do that. We thank you for your care, your watchful care over us. Thank you for keeping us. Encourage your people now for your glory. Amen.